What is a bank? What is a bank for? Can a bank fight evil and right wrongs? Or is a bank no more than a profit-seeking shark working for its investors? Or is it both? Here's a piece of a commercial from Amalgamated Bank. I'm fighting for greater participation in our civics process. I'm passionate about equality for all. Racial justice and social change. Being able to access good jobs. Immigrant rights. Marriage equality, LGBT equality. Quality health care. Electing pro-choice democratic women. Economic justice. There are so many important issues. Today we're talking about a little bank that could. That is, could make our lives better through responsible investments. We'll be talking with the sustainability officer of Amalgamated Bank, Ivan Frischberg. I'm Alan Winson. My BCR co-host Rebecca McCain is out today, and sitting in for her is my good friend Paul Allen Rubin. Paul is an award-winning audiobook director, winner of two Grammy Awards for Best Spoken Word, and a published author. Paul, welcome to Bar Crawl Radio. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought you would. I know you're, you're interested in finance and banking and well, I think like most people, most people at least that I know, um, I go to a bank, I'm aligned with a bank, uh, I'm always very interested in finance, and I'm particularly interested in banks that, like Amalgamated, that have a moral, uh, if you will, mandate. You're listening to Bar Crawl Radio Podcast. We have conversations at neighborhood bars with interesting people working for their community. Today at Five Napkins Bar and Restaurant, you can hear New York City outside there as the uh, a fire engine goes by. We're on Broadway and West 84th Street, just a few blocks from what was originally Central Savings Bank, a grand structure designed as a Renaissance Revival Palazzo. And with that bit of an intro, here we go. Ivan Frischberg is the Senior Vice President, Chief Sustainability Officer of Amalgamated Bank. He's a world leader in guiding the bank to a global financial net zero. Ivan, welcome to uh, Barcarol Radio. Um, before we talk about uh, the link between banking and climate disaster, can we learn a little bit about you? Um, did you always want to be a banker from the very beginning? <laughs> uh, well, thank you for having me here, first of all. Um, uh, it's a great opportunity, a great setup here. Uh, no, I, <laughs> in fact, I'll tell you, um, my background is a public interest advocate and campaigner. Uh, I spent a lot of time working on higher education issues, and so I was uh, actually frequently on the other side of the table from uh, the big banks that were doing student lending and advocating for things like the direct student loan program and lowering interest rates for students. And um, and so it was quite a turnaround um, after uh, a couple of decades of working on climate change uh, for me to show up at Amalgamated Bank, working for a bank inside the industry. Um, but I believed as well, I think we'll get into, that it was a a place where I could actually make a real difference on climate change, and uh, and so that's that's what I've been about uh, for the last eight years. How did you specifically get uh, connected with Amalgamated Bank? Was it your? Did you simply go there and apply for a job, or did they contact you, no, or how was your connection made? They well, the interesting thing was. Bef- they called me, and it was through a friend who I had worked with in the Obama world. Um, I'd worked for Organizing for Action, leading climate change work there, and uh, it was a mutual 
acquaintance, a friend who uh, was at the bank and, and called up and said, hey, you know, we're kind of doing something different here. You know, want to talk to you about sustainability and whether you could be a part of it. But what I hadn't realized, because I'd never heard of Amalgamated Bank, but my paycheck for probably the last five years had been coming from Amalgamated Bank. I'd worked for a couple of different organizations in this space, including Organizing for Action. And, you know, and I'd been paid by Amalgamated, but, you know, you never see a check these days, right? It's automatic deposit or, and, and so like, I didn't realize, but they were the bank behind a lot of the folks that I had been working with uh, as an advocate and as a campaigner story. Yeah, could, I mean, could you say something a little bit about your initial interest in sustainability and the climate change disaster? How did you first get interested in that? I mean, I, I went to a climate conference at the White House in 19, I think it was like 96, right? This is when Al Gore was standing up on a stepladder unveiling the hockey stick, right? I you know, that, yeah. uh, uh, certainly a prequel to An Inconvenient Truth in the movie. And, um, and so I'd been sort of peripherally involved with those efforts. And then really it was around 2007, 2008, I think Inconvenient Truth, if you watch the movie, if you spent time on the, on the PowerPoint presentation, it it's, has always been and continues to be pretty compelling. And uh, and I, at that point, I just decided to kind of dedicate my career and work to to climate change. And so that's what I've been doing ever since. And in terms of the bank, um, I had been working, as I said, with the Obama world and implementation of the Clean Power Plan, a number of programs throughout the Obama's presidency. And at the end of that, it felt like we were heading into a time of implementation. Back in 2015, I think we all thought, okay, Hillary's going to take over, and, and like, everything's going to be good. It's going, you know, we're going to be implementing all this stuff. That's and right. So, the world will be safe. Yeah. So, uh-huh. uh, lo and behold, a uh, funny thing happened on the way to the <laughs> implementation. Yeah. Right. 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 So, basically, at this point, I'd like to learn a little bit more about Amalgamated Bank's history, and I understand that it was um, connected to union leader Sidney Hillman who was uh, head of Amalgamated Clothing Workers of America. So what is that connection and who is Hillman? Yeah, Uh, so Sydney was a leader in the textile trades and we were um, at a moment in history where uh, a lot of immigrants were here in New York City. They were working in the garment industry. Um, They were unionized and so, but they really didn't have access to the sort of mainstream banking system. And so, the union and Sydney sort of led the effort, uh, as was happening all across the country within labor unions, to provide banking resources to to our, our members. And so uh, that was how Amalgamated Bank was started. Uh, it was is through the leadership of what is now Workers United, uh, an affiliate of SEIU, uh, who still have significant ownership uh, in, in the bank, even though we're publicly traded. Um, and so, okay, the SEIU or the Service Employee International Union. It's two million members are fighting for a just society. Uh, That's a very important piece of our legacy uh, in both the establishment of the mission, but also thinking about who we serve and how we serve. Great. Uh, Lynn Fox, the board chair of Amalgamated, is also a leader in organizing labor, I understand. Can you talk a bit about how um, the, the, the Amalgamated continues 
to be a supporter of workers' unions. Yeah. So first of all, uh, Lynn is she's our board chair. And she's with Workers United, um, and uh, other members of Workers United are uh, and their affiliates are are on the board of directors. Uh, and so they're very much involved, and it's a big part of the revenue for that uh, for that union. Um, uh, what the bank delivers from our kind of dividends and, and investment. We are a unionized workforce, so we're one of the few banks in the country that has, uh, you know, our, our uh, a big chunk of our workforce is, is part of the union. Uh, we bank a lot of unions, both on their asset management side as well as on the deposit side. Uh, and we partner with labor unions on shareholder activism and, uh, and other programs. We've been a leader on things like living wage and minimum wage standards. And so there, there's a number of ways in which we engage with uh, uh, organized labor. And there are not that many banks, you know, U.S. banks, that are actually doing this? No, there's, I mean, there was a wave, as I was suggesting, in 2023 or 100 years ago when we were started, where labor unions were started, but very few have survived. Uh, and there's really now only a handful. A sister bank in, in Chicago, there's a bank of labor, and you know, all, I think, smaller than us. Um, but it, it's it's a kind of legacy of, uh, of that time. I mean, this is important, isn't it? I mean... Workers and unionism. I mean, it seems to be coming back a bit. I mean, it's uh, it's an exciting time. I think we look at it as important. If we're trying to build economic security and economic justice, uh, that unions play a central role in that, as well as financial partners, right? And so all of these things are and should be connected. Uh, Priscilla Sims Brown, president of Amalgamated, is not Jamie Dimon of J.P. <laughs> Morgan. Uh, she's from Ethiopia. She grew up in Germany, experienced racism in the United States. Could you tell us about your uh, president? Yeah. So, and she was also a journalist. Uh, she has been in the financial services business for quite a while, though. Uh, and she came to us from Commonwealth Bank of Australia, which is the largest bank in Australia, and is really a seasoned financial expert. And for the last two plus years, has been at the helm, really leading Amalgamated Bank and setting the tone in terms of our offering to customers and clients from a mission-based perspective, as well as sort of modernizing and upgrading our systems and thinking about how we grow to be the bank that we want to be. Growth is a big part of our sort of way of looking at the world. We think about it maybe not in the same terms as other bankers you might have mentioned, but we think as growth as the opportunity to have greater impact. And so uh, thinking about that growing for good has sort of been a defining principle under Priscilla's leadership. Priscilla Brown, uh, recently in an interview, uh, Mrs. Brown said she was comfortable with weirdness. <laughs> Is Amalgamated Bank weird? I mean, some people say I'm weird, uh, including my teenage you daughters. Seem quite but, normal, but, yeah. um, but I think we are different. Uh, we're not what you would expect from a bank. We do all the things you would expect from a bank, right? So, you want a credit card, you want a commercial banking account, a personal deposit account, a savings account, investment services. We do it all, and we actually do it really well. But. We are also different because we have a different driver in terms of impact and relationship with clients and bottom line. And, and I think that is hard for people to understand sometimes because the culture of banking, I mean, banks are some of the most unpopular institutions in society, honestly, right? If you look at the polling. And so to be a bank that operates in a different way, for example, we're gonna, I know we're going to talk about climate change, but to be a bank that's an ally on climate in the way that we are, it kind of takes people by surprise sometimes. 
Can you sort of define Amalgamated's overall ethos? We really are the bank for people who are making a difference and making change in society. And that is institutions and organizations, whether it's environmental groups, unions, uh, public health groups. Like we, we, are, we are there to help those organizations. We're also help, there to help consumers who are often you know, associated with those groups or doing good in the world. We want to be a partner to those people to, to do good ourselves, but to support the work they're doing. Ivan, your bank has linked its business decisions to solving really important vital issues in the world today. Immigration rights, LGBTQ plus rights, gun safety, reproductive rights, racial justice, economic justice, militarism, and others. Um, can you talk broadly about how a bank can positively influence so many social and economic issues? I mean, that's a long list of issues, yeah. and, and so I could, there's a lot of ways that we help in different particular issue areas, but from a 50,000 foot level, our approach really is to think about both how the issues impact us as a financial institution, so a lot of those issues impact our workforce, or uh, issues about where we can lend and how we can lend and how we can support others, right? So we, we do often think about it as we are acting as a bank, as a financial institution uh, and not being blind to and immune to the way those issues uh, impact the, the communities and the clients that we have. Uh, and then we look to act as a bank. So um, you might see a lot of our people at a protest through New York City on, an, you know, on a big climate march or something, but really the way that we're trying to take action is as a bank in the financial sector, what can we do uh, you know, on climate lending, what can we do on disclosures, what can we do on gun safety, what can we do on reproductive health care as a financial institution so that we are, we are being active and making a difference, but we're doing it as a bank. So does all of this impact what you make investments in and who you give loans to? It is our loan uh, portfolio is very much shaped by our values. Uh, and if you look at, and we report this in our annual report, it's up on the website, but you know, in 2022, 36.5% of our uh, loan and select investment balance sheet was uh, put towards climate solutions. We have another, you know, double digit categories include uh, workforce and affordable housing, investments into um, into uh, labor organizations, political campaigns, you know, at, at, on a loan basis, right? So we are, we're doing lending that really reflects the values of the bank and not just from an exclusion perspective, so we're not lending to fossil fuels, we're not lending to private prisons, but we're actively steering our, our loans and investments into that work. When it comes to investments, that's where it's really at the client discretion. So. Pension funds uh, that, that use our in institutional investment services, they decide what they want to be invested in. We don't. We're just sort of transacting the action on, on behalf of them. But for, for what we have discretion over in terms of our balance sheet, I, I think if you're sitting there as a depositor, I, I can look you in the face and say what you're doing is an impact investment. You might be getting a little bit of interest rate you know, in return on the deposits you have fund here, but we're putting that money to work for things you care about in the world. Given all my non-banking expertise and my just general, general, general knowledge as a civilian with uh, the, the stock market and so on and so forth, so Amalgamated Bank is a public company, correct? 
Yeah. All right. So in my mind, I think to myself, oh, a bank. Our first obligation is to our shareholders, to enriching our shareholders. How does that square with Amalgamated's vision so, and ethos? So first of all, we're, we're a B Corp. We're the largest B Corp bank in the country. But more importantly than that, in response to your question, we are a public benefit corporation, which is a little bit different. So we have baked into our charter that we are there to serve the interests of stakeholders, the communities we serve, our clients, in, in a way that a traditional corporation doesn't have. And that is there to protect the bank and our mission so that we can not just be subservient to a kind of financial bottom line that's accretive to our, our, our shareholders. If you really look at what the banking industry is obligated towards, and this is all banks, it is to the security and the safety of depositors, right? So that's how we're primarily regulated, is saying, okay, when you leave your money with Amalgamated, uh, for the night or for for many years to come, you know, how is that, are, are you going to get your money out when you want it to, right? And that is, that's principally how we're regulated and, and in that respect we're very safe and very sound and, and that's sort of the, the primary obligation that we serve. Just to follow up briefly, but strictly speaking as a shareholder, so not as a bank depositor, I'm sure it's FDIC and I know if I put my 250 in there and the world comes to an end, I'll get my money back. All good. As a shareholder, I'm looking at, let's say, Amalgamated, and now I'm looking at J.P. Morgan, or I'm looking at, you know, Citibank, or whatever it is. As a shareholder, I say to myself, oh, okay, well, can I expect Citibank or J.P. Morgan to devote themselves night and day to increasing the value of my shares the same way I would look at Amalgamated as doing that? We are, we are very different. And in a couple of ways. As I mentioned, this public benefit corporation thing is really important in this context. If you're sitting at one of the big money center banks, you're a universal lender. You kind of touch every sector, every business, and you almost have an obligation to, to do that. You can't walk away from the fossil fuel sector where you feel like you can, right? And uh, in fact, if you did, and you said, okay, we're not gonna profit from that sector, even though it's what the world needs, a shareholder could file a lawsuit and say, hey, this, <laughs> you could have made more money. I could have got more dividend, right? You know, and so, and because we're a public benefit corporation and because we're a kind of uh, substantial but uh, able to control what we do from a size perspective, we can say we're not going to lend to private prisons. We're not going to lend to the fossil fuel industry. We're going to still deliver a healthy financial return, a great dividend, but we're not uh, we're not obligated to go out and exclusively chase those returns. Can you can you explain public benefit corporation just in a couple of sentences one more time again, so that it, it helps me too to get a sense of the difference between public benefit corporation and what I understand is yeah. just it, every corporation has a, a fiduciary obligation, right, to serve its investors or owners, shareholders. A public benefit corporation has a dual purpose, a dual benefit, which is to communities, the mission, and the values of the organization. And there's a number of organizations, Patagonia and others, that are public benefit corporations because they want to preserve their ability to run their companies the way that they want to do, primarily from a mission perspective. Right, right, right. Um, did you ever make exceptions to that? Do you ever, you know, look at a, an investment and say, well, 
they're mostly okay. They're mostly sustainable. I know they do no. this and that. I mean, our I, I have the, it's, a, it's actually it's a kind of a secret and really fun part of my job, which is uh, our, our standards of lending are, pr- are pretty clear and the team knows it. And, um, and every now and again, somebody will come up with a, a deal and say, <laughs> you know, I don't understand. There's something about this tells me I should ask some more questions. And, and I'll get involved in trying to unpack, okay, is this particular technology something that is in line with the Paris goals or does it just sound good and it's actually as an underlying issue so you really or like spend time doing and that. so yeah and so we can get into it and I, I would say half the time I, I'm telling telling the team yeah actually I would I would suggest we not do this and they're like great no questions asked and the other half of the time I think they're kind of coming in expecting a sort of negative review and I'm like Oh, actually, this is really cool. And here's what I would also suggest we do to kind of strengthen this from an impact perspective. Do, and so, do, is there any feedback? I mean, from what you say, we're going to loan you. This is who we are. Does it change the company that you're lending to, or do you have no idea? Uh, no. Sometimes, I mean, first of all, our clients come to us because of who we are. Yeah. I mean, that that's the fundamental proposition here, right? Whether you're a deposit client or a lending client, there's an affinity and a trust that we have, and that's why people come to us. It's why we're not spending our money on like big marketing campaigns and you know all those sorts of things that that banks are kind of known for right because we're a relationship-based business so people come to us because they know somebody or they know an organization that does this and that's how we we build our business Um, but we do engage with our borrowers in in a kind of partnership way so uh, an example is uh, plan Point parenthood for america right they uh we have been able to work with them to kind of use the, the, the banking relationship they have to be able to provide loans to healthcare centers that would not otherwise be able to access credit in a sort of highly fraught and part politicized environment. Wow. We, you know, there are clients where we've said, okay, we'll do this, um, but we want you to engage in emissions reductions, or we want you to think about who the offtake for your product is. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example of this. I think there's a, headlines were just made because uh, Virgin Atlantic flew the first plane uh, with, you know, using biodiesel, right? Recovered uh, uh, oil waste from a restaurant like the one we're sitting in. And um, so we... And by the way, Five Napkins doesn't have oil waste as far as we know. Okay. Well, not until you order here, right? And then you, <laughs> then you will. Okay. Um, but... So we worked with a, a biodiesel producer. Now, biodiesel can be not so good, but it can also be good. And it depends in large part on the off-taker and, and how that fuel is being used. And so we've kind of worked with them to say, okay, first of all, your product is not coming from nature, right? So you're not just, it's not really long-term feasible to kind of just take uh, all of that waste. But, but food waste is a, is a better source material. Uh, and then to make sure that they're kind of building their systems to be able to support exactly that kind of like uh, hard to abate or hard to mitigate uh, energy source like heavy, uh, heavy industrial uh, machinery or, um, you know, or flying. Right. So. Yeah, th- th- thank you. Thank you for the examples. Those, those are always very helpful. Um, a wealthy friend of mine uh, profited that possibly Amalgamated Bank is doing all this because it's marketing. It's just a way to get people to kind of look at amalgamated. Uh, so what, what's your pushback? It's both. I mean, yes, that is like, we don't spend money on marketing. 
because we kind of let our our work speak for itself. Um, and uh, but I think throughout the team and all the, the people that are here, I think we're all. And when we get into climate change, you'll you'll sort of see my story on this. But we're here because we think we're making a difference. We are. I, I've spent this morning working with our senior executive team on proposals and initiatives around reducing the racial wealth gap, and the the dedication and the the kind of investment of time and resources into that issue. That's part of why we're here. You're listening to Bar Crawl Radio. We are talking to Ivan Frischberg, Sustainability Officer of Amalgamated Bank. And we'll be right back. Uh, since the 2016 Paris Agreement, uh, J.P. Morgan has financed fossil fuels. Uh, I have a number here at a total of uh, $434 billion. Um, Only a third of the world's banks have a values-based approach like Amalgamated uh, while 200 nations pledged to limit global heating, the world's biggest banks have spent $5 trillion on fossil fuels. $5 trillion since the Paris Climate Agreement. Since the moment where the world came together to say, we need to cut emissions in half by 2030, and we need to get to zero by 2050, they have continued this financing. And if you look at the numbers, sort of the worst number than the five trillion is the number that you see in the last year because there you're saying okay we're, we're seven years on from the Paris Climate Agreement and the levels are not remarkably changed and so the the addiction in this country and around the world not just of the financial sector but also of our political leadership to the fossil fuel industry that is an it's incredible it's it's a powerful powerful relationship that the fossil fuel industry has into every part of our lives and it's very hard to break. In 2016 we said as a bank we're not going to do that anymore. That's a bright line for us. As we were going then to think about okay how do we measure, disclose, manage the climate impact of our loan portfolio we wanted to start from that place of saying okay but we're really not going to have anything to do with the fossil fuel industry or infrastructure anymore at all uh, in terms of our loans and investments. So that, that is our starting point. If, if, you were, if you were to make up a world, or we were to make up a world, in which all the banks got together, I know this is silly, but all the banks got together and said, we're not going to put any money into fossil fuels, would that make an impact? I'm just talking about banks. I mean, yes. and. They don't have to do it all together. They can do it all separately. They can do it on their own timelines. And, and a lot of the European banks are actually doing this now. They're following the science uh, of, of these climate targets and saying, okay, we're going to start to establish phase out, phase down uh, within the oil and gas sector. That A lot of banks, including some U.S. banks, have done that around coal. And they do it independently. They kind of look collectively at the kind of targets and the scenarios out there. That's, I think, a, there's a there's a valid public benefit, public health reason for doing that. But um, if the, the banking industry, you know, was to start to really exit this sector, what it would mean is that some of that money is going to go to private capital providers and, and maybe interest rates are going to be higher, which makes the projects less profitable. 
not all of it can be done because a lot of the value of the banking industry is in the underwriting and capital markets work. So even if you're collecting private capital, it's hard to issue that without uh, big banks doing the underwriting and capital markets work. So it, it would more aggressively move the transition away from fossil fuels. Particularly, I mean, just, I, I'm, this is climate week, right? In a way, we're headed into the climate conference in, in Dubai. So the head of the climate conference is the uh, CEO of uh, the National Oil Company. And they have included in their talking points how they can sell oil development and oil services to the different countries they're meeting with. The, um, the production gap report, this is one, there's a couple of big reports that the UN does in advance of these conferences. So everybody's sort of working with the same information. Juan looked at the big oil producing states, including the United States, and said, okay, if these countries, based on their policies, what, you know, keep up what they're doing, what does that mean for the future? And what it means for us is about a three-degree world. What countries in the world do you feel are more in line with your ethos, and what countries do you feel are present the biggest challenge in terms of climate well, change, so et cetera? Europe is indisputably the kind of leader in a whole bunch of these issues. And uh, you could look at a lot of the work that's being done in the Netherlands or... Uh, in the UK, but they're, they're, that's, I think, where a lot of the innovation and leadership has, has tended to come from. There's moments where the U.S. catches up and, you know, but where we inevitably are kind of trailing what, the pack. Real <laughs> quick, what, what about China and India, which has a combined population of, you know, what, yeah. three billion or whatever it is? You know? So, without getting too nerdy here, but sure. actually, I just came back from China uh, because I, I uh, lead a... Uh, PCAF, which is the Partnership for Carbon Accounting Financials. This is the global standard setter for uh, measuring and disclosing financed emissions. And in China, the uh, People's Bank of China, which is their you know Federal Reserve Bank, right? They are leading efforts to get all of their financial institutions to do this work and to require it. That is far beyond what our Federal Reserve Bank is doing. Every I'm going to extend a detour into a little bit of how banks work, but um, every bank has to reserve a certain amount of capital for the lending it does so that it can make sure your deposits are safe and sound, right? In China, what they have done is say, okay, when you lend to clean energy projects, we're going to reduce the amount of capital you have to reserve, and we're also going to, we want you, and we're going to require you to increase each year the amount of money going into clean energy. You mean the nasty Chinese are doing that? Yeah. I'm putting quotes around nasty, yeah. I mean, it is like there's, this is a double-edged sword, but they are very serious. Most of our clean energy manufacturers, manufacturing, this is according to the International uh, Energy Agency, IAA, in this world, is in China right now because they're making these investments. And, and it's a kind of command and control economy, but they've been very directed about doing this. And so it's, uh, these things are just not as simple as we often sort of experience them to be. And if you look at it, 
We're the largest you know, oil and gas producer in the world. Our banks are very tied up in that industry. And, and often we like to think of ourselves as leaders. And, and in fact, we are reducing emissions very significantly in this country. And the Inflation Reduction Act is going to make a big, big difference to that. But uh, not all that glitters is yeah, gold. Of course. Um, before we move on to another topic, um, is there anything else you would like to say about the work that Amalgamated Bank is doing for, um, uh, for Net Zero? When we've measured our portfolio and we disclose it, it's on our website, you can go look at, you know, every year we do this now. Um, and we think about our emissions intensity. So for every million dollars, you know, that we're putting out the door in loans, what that results to in terms of uh, climate emissions, we're 18 times less than the typical big bank out there. So we have a much, much lower impact per dollar. So when you're making a deposit with us and you think about where that money is going to work, it, it's we're kind of climate light and getting lighter, uh, whereas a lot of the other banks are heavy on emissions. Uh, in addition to sustainable climate, your bank supports many areas of social justice and human rights. And I'd like to get to some of that. Our good friend, documentary filmmaker, associate member of Veterans for Peace, a vocal supporter of your bank, and also you know him, Anthony Donovan, pointed out to us that earlier this year, Amalgamated Bank hosted the Golden Rule Peace Boat. I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, by the way, Bar Crow Radio number 197 featured the Golden Rule Boat visit to the um, New York City Harbor. Also, Anthony told us that on the day the United Nations signed the 2017 Treaty for the Prevention of Nuclear Weapons, the TPNW, your bank blogged its support. And by the way, again, this week the state's parties to the UN Treaty on the TPNW is meeting here in New York City. What is your bank's position on nuclear arms proliferation, and what action is your institution taking to lower military buildup? Yeah, so we, again, we have broad policies against investing in weapons, not just nuclear weapons, but and nuclear technology, like that, but also um, uh, the kind of weapons that we think about when we're concerned about gun violence and gun violence prevention. And so that has been a cornerstone. And so you're right to say that we blogged about it on that day because it was about making our support affirmative and public. But it, that's been a longstanding position of the bank. In fact, if you, um, if you go into our history, uh, in the 60s, and uh, there was a, uh, a gentleman who kind of led and started uh, a lot of the investment management work that we were doing, Robert Schultz. He, he had been working some of the, for some of the big players on the investment side, and he came over to Amalgamated, and he said, okay, I want to think about taking all this labor pension money and so why are we putting it into the companies that we're fighting against? Mm. So if we're fighting against chemical weapons in the Vietnam War, we're fighting against the abuse of workers, why are we putting our money, our retirement income, into those companies? And so he decided, let's do a different thing. And he built a set of investment products that really were sort of aligned with having an impact and getting a return for those pensions. And it was that was really the founding of kind of ESG or impact investing. And uh, there's a lot that's been written about him. Bloomberg has this incredible story about him and, and, and the work that he did. And it's been uh, foundational uh, in the investment space. I have one final question. Oh, don't look at me. Okay. <laughs> Is it safe to bank 
with a bank as, such as yours that is doing good work for our world. What are your main arguments for a Citibank customer like myself or a Chase client to move their assets to Amalgamated or another like-minded bank? Yeah. Uh, my climate answer is there is nothing safe about continuing to do business with banks that are continuing to fund fossil fuels at the scale that they are without really paying attention to the impacts. Um, that is, I think, what we start our climate work from is understanding that in a place like New York City particularly, we can't protect ourselves unilaterally from climate change. We have to do big things to protect ourselves in this city. And we've already, we see the impacts now, like clockwork. It's not just Sandy, but it's the frequent storms and, and, uh, and flooding that's happened that's taken lives in this city. And we're gonna see more and more of that, inevitably. And so we have to act in these other ways to really comprehensively change the trajectory that we're on. That's my first safety and soundness issue. But you're kind of thinking about how do I make sure that my deposits are there when I need it, right? And yeah, so yeah. there's a lot of different answers to that. First off, we have uh, your deposits up to 250000 per per entity are FDIC insured, right? We have products where you, if you have a lot more money than that, you can insure them, right? And, and get that insurance in another way. So you can, you can get to insured products. But more importantly, as stewards, as I was saying earlier, we are really focused on doing the right thing. So we're not involved with sort of the quick schemes and investment schemes that I think have tripped up some banks, including some of the big banks over time. It, you know, we are really thinking about being good stewards. We're a hundred year old institutions. We've been through a lot. Uh, and part of that is because we are very conservative when it comes to our kind of management of the business. And, and so our, you know, we have a, a fantastic record here and are very excited about you know, the growth that we've seen, even throughout this last year, which has been a, you know, a, a tough year for the banking sector, we keep growing. It sounds like a win-win. I mean, um, if I'm gonna invest my CD in Citibank and get blah, blah, I mean, why not invest in Amalgamated and exactly. get the same thing yeah. and feel good about it? Yeah, I, I think for, particularly I think about it on climate change, but you're right, it sort of extends to a lot of other issues. Banking can just be kind of a transactional thing, but if you care about it, they care about the issue and you feel like, look, I can make a difference just by where I choose to do my banking, why not? Why not? And this conversation will continue uh, about Amalgamated Bank. We are happy to do our bit to let BCR listeners know about the good work of a small bank that could, that is, could make a big difference. Thank you, Ivan Frischberg, uh, Chief Sustainability Officer of Amalgamated Bank for joining us today at uh, Five Napkins. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks Thank for the conversation. Very much. And thanks to peace activist Anthony Donovan for helping to make this conversation happen. And thank you, Paul Allen Rubin, for taking off your audiobook directing and coaching hat to help with this BCR episode. And one more thanks. Thanks to Wade Ripka for allowing us to use his music from his Eastern Blockheads band for the BCR theme. And Wade, keep poppin'.